know about you guys, but I was blessed by that music. Amen? Elaine, Stephen, we appreciate you guys. Amazing music as always. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. This is a new series we're starting and really excited about it. I have one or two announcements before we jump into the Word. This Wednesday night, we'll be down in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, The Lord's really been blessing. We've packed out the room we've been meeting in, so we're having to expand and go to a larger room. So there will be coffee provided, and if anyone would like to bring a dessert or something, feel free to do so. Last week, we had some Dunkin' Donuts, so we were all uh, energetic with sugar, and it was fun. So, uh, So that'll be this Wednesday night. And before we begin with God's Word, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the amazing worship, God, that we were able to experience. We thank you for Elaine and Stephen and the choir. and God, thank you for the gifts and talents you've given them that they're using for your glory. Father, now as we look into your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we pray that we would discover truth that would transform our lives, God. And God, where we fall short of you, Lord, forgive us and draw us closer to you. And God, I know we're getting ready to look into the book of First Peter, which is so challenging. Help us to realize that where we fall short, the grace of Christ fills in the gaps. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. How many of you have ever experienced a situation that was difficult? Anyone in here ever found yourself? Okay. Some of you are like, yesterday, if you only knew. I was reflecting uh, this week on 10 years ago, in 2006, I was in a difficult situation. It seemed like a really cool situation to begin with. And it turned out to be a very challenging situation. I was uh, serving on staff at a church in Texas, and uh, I was on vacation, like many of you have been this past week on spring break. And I got a phone call from the leadership group in the church, and they said, Timothy, we need you to come to Texas ASAP. And I was like, what's going on? And they said, well, our our student leader has uh, planned this big trip to London, and for different personal reasons, he can't lead the trip. So we need you to lead the trip. Will you do it? I was like, let me pray about it. Free trip to London. All right, I'll do it. So uh, I signed up on the trip, and um, I I didn't know what awaited me on the other side, but uh, what I found out about the leader that was supposed to lead the trip, he had some moral failings, but for some reason the leadership team let him go on the trip, and the, uh, the, the youth group thought I was a spy from the elders, and they thought I was just there to spy out what was going on, and I'm like, I'm just here to lead. And in commute on to London, I came down with a sinus infection. Anyone ever had a sinus infection where it feels like someone's squeezing your head? And it was, it was a miserable trip because they thought I was a spy and then I was sick. And it was one of these work trips. And you can imagine doing construction work when you're really sick. And through that whole experience, I'm like, God, what are you doing? What have I got myself into, number one? And then God, number two, what are you doing? And... Later on, I realized that God was using this experience to shape and mold my heart, to help me to learn to face adversity and know that God always has a purpose in every problem. And shortly thereafter, I was able to uh, have a layover, and then I had signed up for a study abroad program in Oxford, which is right near London. And in the whole process of being there, during the layover period, I met this young gentleman named Lee. And kind of a little background about Lee, he was... uh, it was from a very wealthy family that owned a hotel in Wales, England. And basically, uh, Lee was suicidal. He uh, didn't want to live. And God had me there to share the gospel with Lee. So out of all of that problems in the trip, um, the Lord allowed me the opportunity to lead Lee to Christ. It was about midnight in a park bench in Oxford. 
So looking back, when I was going through the problem, I didn't realize that God had me there for Lee. It, that was the whole reason why I came there early. And we're getting ready to jump into the gospel or the epistle of First Peter. And what we're going to find out here is First Peter is written to a book of uh, a group of believers who are struggling, and they're scattered, they're exiles, they're experiencing many problems and difficulties in life, and they don't really know why. You ever find yourself in a situation, you're like, why, God, am I in this situation at work? Why am I going through this challenge? So today we're going to talk about how no matter what you're going through, uh, God is using your life and your circumstances to refine you. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you just a few highlights as we introduce the the book of 1 Peter. Uh, A few themes we're going to find throughout. The first theme is one that's very unpopular in church, and that's suffering. We don't like to talk about suffering very much because of obvious reasons, but something Peter is going to tell us as we go through these five chapters is suffering is often a tool that God uses to make you become more like Christ. And uh, most of us, would, if we could take one thing out of the Bible, we'd take that out of the Bible. A second theme, which is also not popular in church, is holy living. And Peter's going to talk about because Jesus has separated you and forgiven you, live as you're called now. You are already holy in God's sight, positionally in Christ, but now in your everyday lifestyle, you're to live out holy living. So, just a little disclaimer, uh, this, this, this series may step on a few of our toes, but it should, it should, because the Bible should be challenging. Uh, recently, I shared Wednesday night, I just joined a CrossFit class over uh, at a CrossFit gym down the road, and it's almost like military training. You have these grown men and women yelling at you, trying to get you in better shape, and it's just like, man, why, why am I paying money for people to yell at me? And force me to exercise, but I kind of think of it like this. I see the outcome. People are telling me, man, I've lost 60 pounds, I've lost 40 pounds, and I'm like, well, I've got a few I could lose, but man, this is, this is torture. But sometimes we go to church, we're challenged in every area of our life, but we go to church and we're not challenged. And I think really, if we're challenged in the marketplace, we're challenged with um, finances, with health, really spiritual growth should be the most important, and we're going to see that. Um, another theme that emerges is there's a glorious future for the believer. Even though you may be facing present trials, God has a glorious future ahead of you. So that's, that's another prominent theme. We also see a fourth theme of God is sovereign. And whenever you realize he's sovereign, that allows me to have a submissive heart. And First Peter talks about your employers, your employees, husband-wife's relationship. Uh, throughout all your various relationships, there's this attitude of humility. That will go throughout. And the fifth theme that I see throughout the gospel, through the epistle of Peter, is the gospel. And that's the good news that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us and deliver us. So that, that's, that's a really amazing thing. So, you know, before we jump into the text, I think there's a, a few different people in, in this audience. And I've gotten to know some of you. And I feel like there's, there's a student in here that's saying, oh, great, we get to study through a book of the Bible. What relevance does that have in my life? And in your life, you're faced with many challenges at school, with compromise, with peer pressure. So you're saying, you know, what, what relevance does going through a book of the Bible have to my life? I'm glad you asked that question, and I, I hope that you'll stay with us for the next few weeks as we answer that. There may be a single in here that you're looking to get married, or you're, you're single again, and you're like, okay, this is great to talk about theology and holiness, but I'm single, and I wish I had somebody. What relevance and we're going to, as we discuss God's sovereignty, we're going to see that God's over the affairs of humankind, and he's got a plan in your life. 
Uh, some of you are in the marketplace right now, and really, if we had a one-on-one conversation, you would tell me, Timothy, I really don't enjoy my job. Um, I signed up for a great job, and I found out it's not what I signed up for. Any of you ever been there before with your job? Most of the people in the audience. So when we talk about work relationships and how God has you in that place for a purpose, you're going to begin to see your boss in a different light. You're going to be, see your coworkers in a different light. And there's some senior adults in here who you're like, I don't know what the next chapter unfolds for me because you know I've had my career, my family, my grandkids around, but what purpose is there? And as we see through First Peter, some themes are going to emerge that's really going to encourage you that will help you in this season of life. So you guys ready to jump into the Word? All right. So we're going to start in verse 1, obviously, of chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. So it starts off, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's addressing this audience of believers that are scattered throughout the nations. And this is modern day, this is ancient Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, the area he's talking to. Verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I, I underline in foreknowledge in the scripture here, and we're going to talk about that. And sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Starts off in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. That's another word for born again, or you know, you've been set free, you've been forgiven, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, verse 4 is really powerful. We're going to unpack that in just a moment. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. How many of you are glad that whether you get an earthly inheritance or not, you have a heavenly inheritance waiting for you? Amen. And it says it's ready to be revealed. Excuse me, verse 5. It says, You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. Just a little side note. I'm glad that my inheritance is not kept by my own power because if it was based upon me, I would probably lose it. I don't know about you. But this is an inheritance that's, once you become a believer, it's reserved for you. You have reservations in heaven. And verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I said on the outset, how many of you are in situations or circumstances that aren't desirable, that you're going through problems? Well, this is for you. It says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says about Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen yet, you love. Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. I like the old King James, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as we unpack this scripture, today we're going to talk about how you can live a life full of hope. And you're like, well, how is that possible? Well, I want you to notice Peter's audience is very relevant to today. They were outcasts. They were marginalized by society because the Christian faith was so much different. 
So the first point on your outline, if you'll follow along with me, is I can live a life full of hope because I'm dearly loved by God even when life is hard. I'm dearly loved by God even when life is hard. I heard about the story of this guy that got shipwrecked. He had built this boat, and this boat was meant to sail through the Atlantic Ocean, and all of a sudden his boat hit a storm and went under. And Stephen Callahan was on a raft for 80 days almost. Can you imagine being alone on a raft for 80 days? It's one of the few stories out there of a lone survivor for that long in the sea. And he, he, he went through so much, you can imagine the, the sun blazing down on your body, sunburn. You can imagine being thirsty, being hungry. How do you survive? And in the book, Adrift, which talks about his journey, one thing from the book emerges. One thing helped Stephen survive. You know what it was? It was hope. It's been said that we can live 40 days without food, 8 days without water, Four minutes without air, but we can't survive but a few moments without hope. And as Peter is writing this to believers scattered throughout modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, he's saying this, in Christ you have a living hope. No matter how hard your circumstances are, no matter how bad life may be, you have hope. If you look back in your scripture in verses 1 and 2, it talks about we're pilgrims. He's talking to pilgrims. Other translations say exiles. A pilgrim is someone who's not a citizen of that country. They are just simply passing through. And as believers, sometimes we forget that this world as we know it is not a permanent home. It says in the book of Hebrews, verses 13 and 4, chapter 13, verse 14, it says, Here we have no continuing city, but we hope for one to come. I mean, we're, we're just pilgrims passing through. So some of us don't realize this, but in a way, it's, it's like a short-term trip. Many of you, spring break, have traveled on vacation. The thing about a vacation, you plan to go back home, right? You don't, when you get into a hotel or you rent a condo, you don't like start hanging pictures and make yourself completely at home. You know this is temporary. And I think as believers, if we saw, even if you live to be 100 years old in comparison to eternity, it's like a, it's like a short vacation. It's like a week. And how you live your life here determines your forever. So we've got to think of ourselves like pilgrims. Uh, another thing in that, it talks about pilgrims, exiles among the dispersion. And that picture is believers scattered throughout the world. And part of the picture is they feel like they don't really belong. Have you guys ever felt like exiles in your work, at your workplace? You ever feel that way in your family, that you just don't fit in because you're different? And that's the thing, because we're so different, or we should be, we're not going to naturally fit into every scenario. It doesn't mean that we're socially awkward. It doesn't mean that we uh, hit people over the head of the Bible everywhere we go, but there's something different about us. When they see us, they say, man, that person, there's something unique about them. And that's what the people were experiencing, that they were scattered throughout, but yet God was one day going to gather them together. Notice it uses the word elect, and that's a word that causes a lot of controversy in churches, right? Election, you've got God's sovereignty, man's free will. I'm not going to get into all the discussion, but here's what election simply means. It means that you're a recipient of God's grace. All of us who are believers are part of the elect. And you're like, well, how does that happen? And that theologians have been debated that throughout the centuries, and we'll let them 
continue to debate it, but let me give you a simple illustration that's helped me to understand how God is sovereign, yet we're free agents. What is your favorite movie? Somebody tell me. We're free to respond. Anybody have a favorite movie? The Notebook, okay. Um, Some of you guys may like Braveheart or some warrior movie. Well, you think about your favorite movie, you know what's going to happen in the end, right? You've already seen it. Many of you have seen it so many times, you know even what the actors are going to say. And uh, and the gentleman is actually a person in the church, explained this to me better than any seminary professor. He said, think about your favorite movie. You know what's going to happen. And he said it like this, think about the director as God. He's written a script found in the Bible, God's will. And as an actor, as a free agent, you can either follow the script or you can choose not to follow it. You can either join the good team that's going to win, which is the Lord Jesus, or you can choose to be part of the bad guy, the other team. And that typically folds out in movies. And the thing about knowing the movie is sometimes as the director, as God, he, he longs for people to make different courses of action, different choices. But he knows in the end what they're going to do. And that's why, if, if you look back in First Peter... It says, elect according to the what? The foreknowledge. Isn't that amazing that God knows all the events of human history? It doesn't mean that there's a cold determinism, that he sets things in motion where certain people are doomed to fail and other people are doomed to succeed. Election is a beautiful thing. It's about God's grace. So I want you to think about that. Even when your life is hard, you can know this, that God dearly loves you and he has a plan for your life. So second thing is, I can live a life of hope because, number two, I know that my future is bright because of what God has already done in the past. Look at verses 3 through 5. It, it builds up to this crescendo. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, or were born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's an interesting follow-up from Easter, right? We talked about the resurrection. First Peter picks up, because Jesus rose from the dead, you have a living hope. Corey ten Boone Boone once said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to known God. Aren't you glad that God knows your future? Aren't you glad that He has it all squared away and He knows what the future holds? So you may not know what the future holds, but you know who's holding your hand as you walk in the future. I heard a story from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Any of you guys like going to Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge? I know that's fun. My family, we used to go there some growing up. There's a story of the seminary professor that was eating at one of those little country restaurants. And they they had sat down for breakfast. And all of a sudden, they see this distinguished white-haired gentleman walking from table to table. And the seminary professor is wanting to check out. He's like, I've come to on vacation, and this guy is talking to everybody. He leaned over to his wife and he says, Honey, I hope that guy doesn't come over here. I'm here to vacation. I'm here to unplug. But sure enough, the distinguished white-haired gentleman came to his table and said, How you guys doing? With a good Tennessee accent. And he's like, We're doing well, thank you. And he's hoping the guy will move on. He's like, Well, where are you guys from? And he said, Oh, we're from uh, Oklahoma. He's like, Great. Well, what do you do? For a living. I mean, this guy's getting all personal. They're like, we're, we're here to have breakfast. Thanks very much. And uh, the professor said, well, I'm actually a seminary professor. So he's, oh, okay, so you teach preachers how to preach, don't you? Well, i got a story to tell you. And he pulls up a chair, and he sits down with him, and this guy's like, so now the guy doesn't even ask. He just pulls up a chair. And it, he tells them a story that really 
begins to uh, open the professor's heart. He said, you see that mountain over there? And he points out the window crossing the restaurant. He said, over that mountain at the base, there grew up a little boy in this area. And this little boy had some major problems because he didn't know who his dad was. He was born out of wedlock. And being a small town like it was, everybody knew that they didn't know who this guy's dad was. And they weren't very kind about it. So everywhere he went, the boy kept on hearing the question, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And the boy, he just, he just really began to close up. So at recess, he would hide out. He didn't want to talk to the other kids because he was afraid. They would ask the question, who's your daddy? At the drugstore, they would ask him, who's your daddy? So the little boy just avoided that question, and he just felt so hurt because people just generally wanted to know who his dad was, and he, did, he didn't really know. So at the age of 12, at his church, a new pastor came to town, and uh, the little boy would often slip out during the final pastoral prayer so that he wouldn't have to talk to anybody. But the new pastor was quick on his prayer. He said a short prayer, and before the little boy could sneak out the back door, the pastor called his hand and said, Hey, son, how are you? And seeing no father around, he asked him, Who's your daddy? And this little boy is like stood there in shock. And all the people in the church are like, We're going to finally figure out who this kid's dad is. And all the eyes were on the boy and on the new pastor. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gave the pastor discernment like only he can do. And the pastor said, oh, wait a second. I know who your daddy is. I see the resemblance. I see the family resemblance. You are a child of God. And he said, son, you have an inheritance. Go out and claim your inheritance. And the gentleman at the restaurant was saying, you know what? That little boy, that changed his life that day. From then on, he held his head high. He, whenever someone asked him who your daddy was, he, he would say, I'm a child of God. And as he finished the story, the gentleman said, well, it was great talking to you, but one thing I wanted to tell you before I go, uh, he said to the seminary professor, he said, if that pastor had not told me that day that I was a child of God, I wouldn't amount to anything. And uh, we've got a picture. Let me show you who this guy is. He ended up being Ben Hooper, the 31st governor of Tennessee. And whenever he realized who he was in Christ, it changed his life forever that day. And as we read this scripture, we're going to find who our identity is in Christ. You are a child of the living King if you have been born again. And that's just such beautiful promises. As I read this, it says we have a living hope. Now, if we have a living hope, why are we walking around like a dead person walking? I mean, why are we so defeated all the time? If we have a living hope, we of all people should walk around with a little pep in our step. Some of the younger people say a little bit of spiritual swagger. I mean, you should have some excitement that God is with you and he's got a plan for you. And notice it says we have an inheritance. And I, I was researching this word inheritance and I had to call one of my pastor friends. And in the Greek, what's interesting, it's a present tense thing with the future application. So generally an inheritance happens when someone does what? When someone dies, right? Well, Jesus Christ has died and he's risen again. And whenever you become in Christ, you receive part of that inheritance. I'll tell you a few things. You receive the Holy Spirit who moves inside of you. You receive everlasting life that begins the day you receive Christ. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Some of you have many spiritual gifts. You have so much to be thankful for for your inheritance. And it's interesting with an inheritance. Some inheritances are set up where until the kids get a certain age, they only get a certain yearly allowance. And then whenever they reach a certain age then they get their full inheritance. And that's kind of the picture we have here. We are in Christ, 
and we're on this side of eternity. Christ has given us so much already, but the full inheritance awaits when we get to heaven. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So I wrote down a few things. I, I'm not very familiar with inheritance terms, but many of you who have seen people receive inheritance, you, you'll, you'll see terms that I'm getting ready to receive, say here. You are the heir and the beneficiary of this inheritance. Some of you may never receive that here on earth, but in heaven, you're the heir of something great. The capital gains are out of this world, and there's no capital losses. The Holy Spirit serves as your conservator or guardian. He's the one that's keeping you by the power of God. Aren't you glad it's not something that's dependent upon you? The pressure's not on you. You also, sometimes in an earthly inheritance, there's creditors at the end that you have to pay off before you receive your inheritance. Did you know the good thing is there's no creditors with your heavenly inheritance because Jesus paid your debt in full on the cross? Also, you're receiving an estate, the Bible says, that's incorruptible, it's stunning, it's unfading, and it doesn't change. So I need to draw a distinguishing point here. The inheritance you're going to receive is different from the Christian rewards you're going to get in heaven. Because those are based upon faithfulness, right? The inheritance is basically a family thing. Because you're part of the family of God, you have an inheritance. The Christian rewards you'll get in heaven is based upon your faithfulness. So think about that picture. You have an inheritance. And then also how faithful you are, you're going to get amazing rewards in heaven. But you guys realize that that's amazing, isn't it? So if you know that your future is bright, maybe you and I will start living like it in the present. I mean, think about it in earthly terms. In earthly terms, if you knew that you were going to be taken care of, wouldn't that change the way you thought about life? Wouldn't that change the way you think it? Now, spiritually, if you know that God's got a beautiful mansion prepared for you, Jesus said, I I go and prepare a place for you. And one day I'm going to come and take you to that place. See, for me, I don't care what my place looks like. I just want to know I'm with Christ, I'm with my loved ones, and that's a beautiful picture. So think in the context of Peter. We talked about the background, suffering. If you're suffering, and say maybe you're struggling financially, you're struggling with different things, if you know that a bright future awaits you, most of us can do endure anything if we have a little bit of hope. So the third thing is this, and this is the final point. I can live a life to the full because... I realize the significance of my struggles. I realize the significance of my struggles. Many of you are going through struggles right now, but you don't realize that there's significance in your struggles. You don't realize that God is molding you and shaping you. Look, look back at verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Notice that trials are temporary. Even if they're lifelong, they're still temporary. If need be, you have been greed by various trials. Now, I could go through the audience today and you could tell me all of your hardships you're going through. But the good thing about the scripture, it says that God is using this for something greater. There's significance in your, your struggles. It says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. So in other words, more important than money, more important than fame, more important than anything else is your walk with God. And that's what Peter's going to focus us through this whole series. Your relationship with Christ is the most important thing. And it says that though it's tested by fire, it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ will come back again one day. His first advent, he came to earth, he lived the perfect life, he died on the cross, he rose again. And then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And once that place is finished... Once everyone in the world's had a chance to hear and receive the gospel, 
I mean, the Bible talks about the gospel is going to be proclaimed throughout the world, and then the end will come. Then Jesus will come back. So, are you ready? If Jesus came back today, would your life be found to give glory, praise, and honor to God? That's a tough question, isn't it? And it says in verse number 8, it says, Even though we have not seen Jesus physically, we love him. And though you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now think about that. Even when you're going through your worst sufferings, if you know that God has a great plan for you, God has a great future for you, it changes the way you live your life each day. So I can realize the significance of my struggles. I read this week about this young boy that was born of polio. And at the age three, it was kind of like he was abandoned. His family had abandoned him at this hospital in New York City. And he was left alone. And he was, went to a foster family. And eventually he made his way down to Georgia. And it was this white child that was adopted by this African-American mom. And her name was Mama Jean. And the story was really moving how Mama Jean really helped this young boy with polio. She would give him hydrotherapy in the local creek. She would massage his legs. She would pray over him, sing over him. Mama Jean just was one of those spirited ladies that just believed that this child was sent to her for a reason. And one day, Mama Jean, when the, when the boy was 12, she took him outside and she leaned him against the oak tree. And according to the story, he said, I can still feel the bark against my back this day. Mama Jean said, Son, the Lord Jesus spoke to me in a dream that you're going to walk. And I want you to take away these crutches and I want you to walk towards me. And he started crying and said, I can't, Mama Jean, I can't walk. I've never done this before. And she said, listen, son, I want you to drop those crutches and walk. And in her spirited voice, she said, son, it's time for you to take your stand and walk. All of a sudden, the crutches drop, and he takes his first step, and then another, and then another, and finally he falls into Mama Jean's arms. They're both crying. And he said, from that day on, because of the love of Mama Jean, and even though I was going through such hard times physically, she saw past the suffering, and she saw something greater. He said, for the next two years, I'd never use those crutches again. It took me two years before I could walk normally, but I discovered that the power of love can change things. And when I read in 1 Peter, the struggles that we go through, it says in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that we're, we're to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kind. Because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And I want you to know that no matter what you're going through today, I want you to think about that little boy with polio that takes that next step, the next step, the next step. And sometimes you may not understand why you're going through what you're going, but if you'll just take that next step of faith and the next step of faith, and God will help you through each day. You just simply have to trust in Him. So I want to give you... On your outline, it's not there, but a, a few treasures in your trials. And i got to give a little caveat. These scriptures we're talking about is only relevant for believers. So if you're not a believer, we're going to give you a chance at the end of the service to receive Christ. Because a lot of times I'll hear people say, all things work together for good, right? And they'll say, everything has a purpose. Well, it's like, that's a great thought, but that's only true if you're in Christ and following him. Because Romans 8.28, to complete the verse, all things work together for good to those who love God and called according to His purpose. So it's a great promise, 
but it's a promise to those who are in the inheritance, in the believer. So if you've never received Christ, I would get in on the inheritance. I would get in on the family of God because it changes your life. So here's four promises really quickly that as you're going through suffering, some of you right now are going through physical suffering. Some of you it may be depression. Some of you it may be emotional. Some of you it may be financial. Whatever. Listen to these four promises. Number one, your faith is being proved genuine. Your faith is being proved genuine. Whenever you go through the fiery trials and you come out the other side and you still are walking with God, that's evidence to the world that you really are a legit believer. Now, if you go through trials and you turn away from God, uh, Peter would ask, were you really ever following God? Because the fire proves that your faith is genuine, we see in 1 Peter. Number two, your life will bring glory to God. You may not realize this, but every time you go through suffering that you didn't bring on yourself and it's pain and you're still giving God glory, it's just quite, kind of amazing how God can really use that. Recently, Paul and I went to go visit some of the shut-ins. And what's interesting, many of them are suffering, but they're not complaining about it. And I'm just like, my goodness, you're 90 and you're still joyful? I hope I can be that way when I'm 90. And one lady was 97 and still going strong. And I'm like, man, how is that? It's the faith. She realizes no matter if she takes her last last breath on earth, it's the first breath in her heavenly inheritance. Number three, God will flood your life with joy that doesn't even make sense. My parents all the time, and my brothers and sisters are here, can testify. They used to sing that song, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. I mean, we used to hear that song over and over, didn't we, guys? It was just like, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. I can't sing it, but it was just like that, that resonated over and over. You can have joy... That doesn't make sense. Have you ever lost a loved one or gotten fired from a job and you had peace that didn't make sense? I mean, and people are like, you're you're supposed to be broken and defeated. And and you're like, I can't explain it. God's given me joy that just doesn't make sense. And that's something that's beautiful. And finally, you guys can know the rest of the story. God has a new place prepared for you. He's got a new body designed for you. And he can't wait to spend forever with you. So number four would be your future. Can you imagine that? A new place, a new body, and you have God and all your friends who are believers that you'll spend forever with? That's a beautiful picture. So I want to give you guys a closing illustration. And um, for some of you, this uh, may really resonate. How many of you have ever worked with steel before? Anybody ever worked with steel? Okay, we've got a few people. Now think about this. A $5 bar of steel can be cut into an ordinary horseshoe and it's worth $10. Okay, that makes sense. The same bar of steel can be cut into needles and is now worth $350. That same common $5 bar of steel can be cut into delicate springs for watches and now its worth becomes $250,000. The same $5 bar of steel. So the next time you're wondering why I've gone through so many struggles, more than most, some of you have been through struggles after struggle, and you're like, why? Could it be that God is shaping you into something that's priceless, something that money cannot buy, something that is going to bring so much glory to God that when you look back on your life, it's like, wow, I went through that because of this. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So your take-home truth, and this is something I want you guys to discuss at the lunch table. We're getting you guys out in time for lunch. And everyone said, amen. It's this. The more I become like Jesus today, the more hope I will experience tomorrow.
So here's the basic principle of verses 1 through 9. If you become more like Jesus today, tomorrow you'll have more hope. For those of you who don't have much hope, I would just ask you this question, just in a lovingly way, are you becoming more like Jesus? Because the more you grow to become more like Him, the more hope you experience. So I want you, as you talk around the lunch table, I just want you to ask this question. What is one area of my life that needs more hope? I mean, we all have areas like that. What is one area? Is it your health? Is it your job, as I mentioned, in the marketplace? Is it you're that single person that's still waiting for the right spouse? Is it you're a senior adult and you're wondering, how can I fulfill God's purpose in this chapter? So know that God is preparing you for something far greater. So next week, a little preview next week, we're going to talk about the greatest rescue mission ever achieved. And that's how God was on a rescue mission for you. He loved you so much that he was on a rescue mission. So I want to invite all of you back next Sunday and Wednesday night if you can come. Let's pray together. Father, your word is powerful. And Father, I thank you for First Peter, how First Peter tells us that we can have hope if we're in Christ. That we have an inheritance that is unfading. It doesn't change. It doesn't decay. And Father, I'm wondering right now as I pray, if there's someone here that would say, Timothy, you know, I've never thought about the inheritance. I never thought about I need to receive Christ to to enter into the family of God. And if there's anyone here today, no one looking around, that would say, Timothy, I need to ask Jesus into my life and to forgive me my sins. The Bible says it's really simple. If you believe Jesus paid the price for your sins, that he went on a rescue mission for your soul, you can simply ask him to come into your life and ask him to forgive you, and he will wipe the slate clean. He'll give you a fresh start. Would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, today I want to receive Christ. I want a clean start. I want to become part of this family you talked about, the family of God. If that's you, you raise your hand. No one looking around. Anyone at all. Timothy, I need to receive Christ. If anyone today needs to receive Christ, or if you're listening online, it's no magical prayer. It's your faith. Say something like this. Dear Jesus, I realize that I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. I ask and pray that you would come into my life and make me a new person. Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you that I'm now part of this family of God. Final question. Would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, when you mentioned struggle, you must have been reading my mail. Because I've been going through struggles and I don't really understand, but you've shown me today through God's word that there's significance in my struggles. Please pray for me. That's you. Raise your hand. I want to lift you up. Thank you. See those hands. Father, be with those who are going through struggles and help them realize that you're with them even in the midst of their struggles. We love you and we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.